the economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com. And if you're not already an athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com forward slash subscribe to sign up today. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, we'll be back inside Levi's Stadium a little bit later today for the first time since the NFC Championship game back in January. One of those things that feels like it was a decade ago, but that was quite the showing for the 49ers. Then they went to the Super Bowl. Obviously, that ended in disappointment for them. Then this whole crazy offseason happened. Then training camp happened. Training camp is now almost finished, and the 49ers have decided to go ahead and do a practice in the big stadium before the September 13th season opener against the Cardinals. So, uh, guys, it's getting closer and closer. And as soon as uh, Matt and I step foot in the stadium today, I think it uh, will all feel just a whole little bit more real, although it's still been weird this year. But that season opener is now looming. The 49ers have several challenges to address before then. In fact, on Thursday, they even canceled their practice and just did a walkthrough instead because they were so beaten up. That's the bad news for the 49ers. The good news is that the day before that, on Wednesday, they had one hell of an energetic practice where we saw a little bit of everything. We saw actual injuries, injury scares. We saw Richard Sherman come off an injury scare return and interception nearly the length of the field for a touchdown. We saw some nice throws from Jimmy Garoppolo. We saw some bad throws from Jimmy Garoppolo. We even saw Javon Kinlaw interception, and he was a lot of fun to watch returning the football. Dennis, you would like how athletic Javon Kinlaw looked. He, I mean, he made a running back cut in the open field at 330 pounds. It was pretty cool to see. So, uh, guys, we, we, we've seen everything now in this training camp, and I just really want to see this team in the stadium, and I guess we get a chance to do that today. Another thing that we saw on uh, – earlier in the week was Debo Samuel start to really uh, accelerate in his rehab. And it wasn't just, you know, a little bit of light jogging. He was sprinting, going all out. And and I was starting to think, oh boy, we're reaching a period where even if that foot has healed, uh, we're getting so close to the season that there's no way that he can get back into, into football shape and be ready for September 13th. And, and that still may be, but the fact that he started it just then, about, like you said, David, about a little over two weeks before the uh, the start of the season, I think gives him a, a legitimate chance. Um, and it might just be sort of like a, a gut call on September 13 as to whether uh, Debo Samuel should start that game or whether they should, you know, be really cautious and uh, hold him out for one or two more. But um, you know, that's that's the uh, the slight silver lining to a lot of these injuries that they're dealing with. Uh, there's only a few guys that they've ruled out for certain for September 13th. That's Weston Richburg, Julian Taylor, and Richie James. Those guys are going to go on injury lists. They won't be available until midseason. Everybody else has a shot, and uh, I guess that's uh, that's a good thing. Dennis, what would be your call for a guy like Debo Samuel? Is it worth having him in there for the for the opener, or would you be the uh, play the more cautious card and, and have him kind of sit out a few more games? 
again, I, I haven't been out there. I haven't seen, you know, him running around. But I got to think, you know, when you when you talk about a foot, I mean, as a receiver, that could be something that could just nag on the entire season if it's not completely healed. Yeah. So, and I don't, I'm not a, a doctor. Uh, I know it's going to be tough when you have a, a playmaker like a Debo sitting on the sidelines and, you, and you're kind of thinking that maybe he can get in there. But you got to think long term. I mean, you got to think of the long haul of, of this NFL season. And if, if he goes out there and he tweaks that thing and then it becomes one of those injuries where it's just going to just kind of keep coming back. It's going to be irritating. I mean, and he's a receiver. He's a guy that has to be able to cut. He's got to take a lot of pounding you know, on that foot. So I would just be cautious. It'll never be fully healed. You know, once you get into a, a football game, you're going to get banged up a little bit. But, I mean, closest as you can get to 100%. And I guess his rehab, it sounds like his rehab is going really really well. I just wish I could, you know, be out there to see, you know, see him run around, see what he looks like. But, like you said, football shape, especially for a receiver, is super important. And a guy like Debo, who, you know, he kind of lives and dies on being in open field, making those cuts, making guys miss, separation. I would have to, you know, have to go with the caution and just make sure that thing is as close to the best or close to 100% as you can before you get it out there. Because you don't want an injury, especially in a young career like that, in his career, that's going to just keep coming back and nagging him. So I, I, I would just say kind of hold back a little bit. Yeah, Debo runs heavy, right? He's yeah. He's a physical runner even when there's nobody around him he's got that stocky frame which helps him so much to break tackles and really drag defenders but even when he cuts and this is probably part of the reason why he suffered this fracture is he he cuts with a lot of weight on that plant foot I mean you could tell that there's a lot of stress coming down and I think we don't know for sure I don't even know if Doctors and medical experts know for sure, but there, you know, was speculation entering this season and during the off season because it was so irregular that we would see more injuries. And uh, I think specifically soft tissue injuries were the concern because there wasn't a normal ramp up to training camp this year. And look what the 49ers have a bunch of is a ton of soft tissue injuries. Now with Debo Samuel was a Jones fracture in the foot that also theoretically could be something linked to an irregular off season because he is a guy that puts so much of his load, so much weight on that plant foot when he cuts, if he had been working out a little bit differently because shelter in place orders uh, didn't allow him to, to do his standard routine over the offseason, uh, you know, that, that might have contributed to that injury happening when the 49ers were training in Nashville. So ultimately it will obviously come down to what the medical staff thinks uh, of uh, the healing progress for Debo Samuel, how he feels. I can tell you what I've seen. He's running fast on the sideline for the 49ers, and he's cutting on that foot in videos that I've seen online. So uh, for what it's worth, uh, it that's why Matt and I have started to say, oh, it looks possible. And I think even Kyle Shanahan is starting to say now, you know, we're not ruling it out for week one. So we'll see how they feel. But in general, I think that this longer list of 49ers injuries, this training camp, it's not something that I've studied league wide, but I suspect that it's happening around the other 31 teams as well because of the irregular offseason. And, Matt, have you talked to any medical experts? I, uh, I've i talked to people, you know, kind of semi-off the record, you know, so I can't quote anybody. And I've talked to players, and I know that this was a concern. 
And it's one of those things that you can't firmly link, but uh, I think everybody's thinking the same thing right now, that this might be one of the weird byproducts that the 49ers have to face following this weird offseason. Yeah, we've had a, a couple of uh, hamstring strains from guys you wouldn't normally think would, would get them. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk, um George Kittle's hamstring was a little bit tight, but it, it looks like that uh, is still intact. And He's not going to miss very much time. D. Ford has a, a calf strain. Brandon Ayuk has a, a hamstring strain. Yeah. So yeah, those those types of soft tissue injuries that you would associate with uh, wiped out off season, which is what happened in 2011 with the lockout, and you saw a lot of those types of things. A lot of Achilles tears too. And thank God uh, the, the 49ers haven't seen any of those yet. Oh but, God! Uh, the other day, what about that scare at practice? I mean, we thought that happened to Richard Sherman, right? Yeah, well, we, we were watching it. And, um, you know, the uh, we'll just try, try to paint the picture for you. We are kind of cordoned off in, in one corner of the, the practice uh, fields, whereas in normal years we could sort of walk around the perimeter of all the fields. Now we're just uh, in, in one area, and it happens to be the area where the defensive backs uh, do their individual drills and they work out and and things like that. So we get a, a very good look at one group, and it ha- happens to be the DBs. Well, Richard Sherman was going up against Joukowsky Tart. I'm not exactly sure what they were doing, sort of a shadow drill, and Tart basically stepped on his foot, um, his uh, his left foot, and uh, we all saw it happen, and uh, Richard Sherman went to the ground. He immediately tore off his cleat, tore off his sock, started reaching around to the back of his his foot, you know, where the Achilles is. And this is a guy who's had Achilles issues on, on both feet. And the reaction from the uh, the other players, David, was what told me, oh my gosh, this is serious. Because guys were like, you know, grasping the sides of their helmets, you know, taking a knee. Uh, Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan walked over together, very stone-faced. And it seemed like, you know, worst case scenario, this guy has, has torn an Achilles. Uh, but it turned out, that wasn't true. I mean, he just got stepped on, and uh, he was obviously in a lot of pain, but uh, the worst didn't happen. But, uh, boy, for a few tense seconds there, it seemed like it had. And then he delivered a 95-yard pick six. That was 30 right. minutes later. So very Richard Sherman-esque <laughs> moment there. It sounds like a lot of his drama. Hall of Fame. There was a oh. lot of drama. <laughs> Dennis, th- that, that practice, that Wednesday practice was a roller coaster. It was drama city from start to finish. What, well, what else awesome. went, what else went on there? There was a fight in, right. involving Javon Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw, and, and Justin School of all people. If, if you've ever spoken to Justin Justin <laughs> School, he's the most sort of uh, laid back, uh, very kind of plain um, guy. Yeah. yeah, very mild mannered. But apparently, uh, something happened. On, but School on is six seven, three hundred and something pounds, right? That's true. That's yeah, true. but yeah. he's still at a disadvantage against the guy who's what six six three hundred and thirty five pounds yeah. or whatever. Yeah, Javon Kinlaw. I mean, I cannot understate how massive he looks on the field. And then about thirty minutes after that, there was uh, almost another fight between Raheem Mostert and Fred Warner, who were jawing at each other. But that ended up, you know, calming down because their teammates pulled them apart along the sideline. But Javon Kinlaw uh, intercepted a pass off of a DJ Jones tip. And so Kinlaw was all over the field, both in the fight and then in his interception return in the red zone drills. That was one of the three interceptions 
uh, Jimmy Garoppolo threw in the red zone. Two of them were tipped, and Kinlaw's return I, I just made that the most fun practice ever for me. Just to, I love watching a big guy run like that. Dennis, did did you ever have an interception or a fumble recovery where you got to actually rumble with the ball a little bit? Well, I had quite a few fumble recoveries. I did have two interceptions, but uh, the stat sheet said it was minus zero yards on both. Oh. So I don't know how that happens, but you know, I, I did, <laughs> I, I did, I got a couple tips. Um, Tim Harris tipped the ball once to me. Uh, and I got another tip off of Michael Carter after he kind of batted something down. But the stat sheet always says minus zero yards. I don't know how that's possible, but I, obviously I was running the wrong direction. But you know, for for a big man to get an interception and kind of rumble down the down the field, you know, that's almost better than a sack for a big guy. You were probably waiting for your blockers to get out ahead of you, so yeah, I, I, I figured a little bit I was of a convoy down down the field. Well, I do remember when Michael Carter intercepted a ball against, uh, I think it was Minnesota. And he ran a he ran a good sixty yards, and Michael wasn't the fastest guy in the world, and it you know he had a little convoy in front of him. It took him a while, but he scored on that pick, and it was amazing because it took forever, and no one ever tackled him. You know, if, if you got some blockers in front of you, I think you're good to go. Let's take a quick time out to tell you about Fubo TV. There's a family plan where three people can watch at once. Standard base plan, two screens at once, fifteen percent off first month and local broadcast. Tough times for a lot of folks, but if you want to save money, $50 is more affordable than other cable providers. Also, NBC Sports is included on the national feed. With NFL season around the corner, Fubo TV will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news. Go to fubo.tv forward slash athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. Again, that's fubo.tv forward slash athletic. Start your first month today. DJ Jones had a diving interception, and he uh, scooped up the ball the other day. I think this was in Tuesday's practice. And um, he started running for uh, what looked like it was going to be a big guy touchdown. And Jeff Wilson, the running back, came up behind him, and he Leon leaded the ball. He stuck his hand in and poked it free. <laughs> and uh, it was a fumble, and it denied DJ Jones his, uh, his big man uh, uh, touchdown celebration. That's got to be something that's in the back of your mind, though, Dennis, right? If you're a defensive player, you don't want one of these little receivers, running backs coming up behind you and poking the ball free. Another thing you worry about as a big man is if you got to run, I mean, that's a long ways to run for a defensive <laughs> lineman. Uh, and, you know, that's the nightmare. If you got to run and you're going to score a touchdown and then the ball is going to be kicked off back to, to the offense and you, you got to go back on the field. But, yeah, I mean, that Le- Leon Led is, is a famous, you know, embarrassment for a defensive lineman. You get too excited. Because you haven't been there before, so you don't know right. how to act. Right. So you you know you want to do things like showboat and you stick that ball out there. And another thing, if you're a big man running down the field, after about 15, 20 yards, you're pretty much an easy tackle from any angle. You just got to get a hand because a big man is going to be tight, so tired. You're not going to be you know high stepping anybody. So it's kind of an easy tackle. And ball security is not something that we learn playing defensive line. So it's kind of easy to pop the ball off. Yeah, and guys are going to try to go low, right? And, oh, yeah. Unless you're Nick Bosa in the, in the case of the Panthers, the first few guys who tried to tackle him after that interception last year were going high, and he 
he was just throwing him off. <laughs> that was impressive. Yeah. They finally were able to get him because he hit the point that you were talking about. He ran out of gas right <laughs> yeah. around the ten yard line. <laughs> I mean, he just hit that wall. You could—that was an invisible brick wall. But you, boy, you could—you could see the invisible wall in that play. Yeah, we're not built for that. We're not built for the long, long ten yard spurts. You know, maybe twenty. Yeah, when you get to thirty, yeah, it gets kind of hard. Kind of hard on the body. I would like to see D Ford. Uh, you know, if he only had 30, 40 yards to go, obviously he's much lighter than than defensive linemen were back in back in the day. Now you got that really specialized speed rusher, doesn't even weigh 250 pounds. Well, 49ers have a couple of those guys in, in D Ford and uh, Deion Jordan, and I think those guys would probably be able to to do you know farewell for themselves in a, in a 30 or 40 yard sprint. But I think you're right at any uh, distance over that. I, running backs and, and other people on the field. Uh, are trained to, to, to run further and, and faster over long yeah. periods. So they're going to catch a defensive lineman no matter how fast he is. But it, it was a fun moment in practice, and, and there were a lot of them. You know, it, it was just one of those days where the team, you know, the teams, by that I mean offense and defense, were, were going back and forth. It was like a heavyweight battle. It was a, a really good football team putting on a really intense practice, and Kyle Shanahan actually verified that that's what he thought uh, the very next day. He said, hey – I was really pleased. That was a great practice, but my worry uh, was that we we couldn't do it again the next day because then we'd get six guys injured. You know, yeah. we're at that point of camp where we're out of gas. We can't be pushing it that hard without any rest. So that's why the 49ers did the walkthrough on uh, on Thursday. Unique thing about these camps is that a lot of these backup guys, you don't have uh, a preseason to kind of get yourself on tape and show yourself, you know, what you can do. Uh, in a game-like situation. So for a lot of these backups, I can imagine it's got to be very competitive. And when you see someone on the field being that competitive, it's contagious. And then it becomes a very competitive practice. And I think that's one of the unique things going around the league now is that guys don't, like guy like a, a Nick Mullins, you don't have an opportunity to have many snaps with the ones. So your opportunity is right there in practice. So I think just because of that, the attitude has to be, we have to be more competitive, so we really have to get these practices fired up. Yeah, and that's what uh, they're hoping to see in this uh, practice at Levi Stadium today, uh, more of a, a real game-like simulation. Uh, Shanahan was saying that you know, this is something you don't really ever think about, that you know, in the preseason, that's where you work out all your sort of technology kinks. You know, Are your tablets working? Is your headset working? They don't have that this year, so... This is going to be a dry run of sorts for, you know, the equipment staff, for everybody, just to get ready for that September 13 game. And I think it's not going to be a scrimmage or anything like that, Dennis, but it's going to be more move the ball periods, you know, situational drills, uh, putting them in in game-like scenarios for, you know, one of the final tune-ups for the season. Well, it's going to be really interesting, too, how the noise and stuff at the stadium is going to work. I I know that the NFL is currently discussing all you know the the procedures and what will be allowed and what won't be but what it sounds like is uh, whatever noise is pumped in whether it be crowd noise or music is gonna have to be pumped in at a consistent volume throughout the whole game so the home team won't be able to just stop pumping noise in when they're on offense it's gonna have to continue going so in a weird way it might be louder in these stadiums for the home team when they're on offense than it would be if there were fans in the stadiums. That, that that may end up being weird, and I think all these details are still going to be ironed out, but it's just going to be a it's going to be a different vibe for sure this season. So I have a question. So is the noise is going to be pumped 
in the stadium, or is it just going to be for folks watching on television? It's, I think uh, in it's the still stadium. being determined, but uh, uh, it could be both. But uh, they're, yeah. they're trying to figure out ways to pump it into the stadium. I think what, what Kyle Shanahan was saying, he's pretty leery of it being sort of fair. I mean, uh, noise pumped into Levi's Stadium would be different than noise pumped into the Superdome in, in New Orleans. So um, it, it has to be uniform. I, I guess the decibel level would have to be uniform or else, you know, the teams in, in dome stadiums uh, might have an advantage. So uh, he was very eager to see exactly how it would be, uh, what the rules would be. Uh, it, it's something he's been thinking about a lot. Let's pause to tell you about Manscaped. Manscaped has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Receiver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical, and they smell great, too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. It's going to be a brave new world out there on these football fields. Then there's the whole twist of potentially fans being back, at least in some states, uh, as the season progresses, you know, and I mean, who, it's theoretically possible, but I, I don't know how possible. I don't want to put a percentage on it, but in theory, it's possible this season. Obviously, we'll start with nobody in the stands, but maybe the 49ers make it back to the Super Bowl, and you're in front of a pretty full, if not full, stadium in Florida in February. Now, a lot. Obviously, we've seen so many twists and turns through this whole virus situation and the whole world situation over the last uh, several months. So, but you can't. Uh, really put a, a, a expectation or probability on anything except for the fact that you should expect the unexpected, that you should expect everything and anything to be on the table of possibilities. So there's a chance, Dennis, that the challenges and, and the noise constraints and the, and the noise, you know, you, I, you always work around it as a football team, but there's a chance that the demands and the challenges will change and evolve over the course of the season, which will make this r- really interesting because uh, fans at the end would be a whole lot different than just music being piped in at the start. Yeah, and, and you're talking about you know, maybe some of these young guys who haven't been in front of a, a NFL crowd, an NFL stadium, you know, a dome going into, you know, even going into like a, a stadium like Seattle, where, you know, if you're pumping in noise in Seattle, like you said, Matthew, it's going to be totally different than noise going into uh, artificial noise going into a Levi's stadium. So as the times go, you know, you have to, you know, adjust yourself. I mean, if you're going into to New Orleans is going to be crazy loud with or without fans. And so you have to kind of adjust yourself accordingly. So it's going to be it's going to be a learning for I think everyone. I think on both sides, fans uh, and also us in the media. I mean, who can go in there? Where can we go? Uh, there will be no player interaction. You won't see those interviews anymore. So it's going to be learning all the way around. Yeah, I wonder about the crowd noise whether it's just sort of this uniform din hum during the whole game, and that would be odd to me because you're you're used to the the crescendos. If it's not modulated, like you know, in, in high pressure situations, the 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 crowd noise goes up and whatnot. Uh, I just think it would be odd if it's like that. And and 
I, I want to say the Rams had a scrimmage in their new SoFi Stadium, and, and there was artificial crowd noise being pumped in there. And uh, I read some of the comments, and uh, none of the players really seemed to like it. It, it, it seemed uh, a, a little bit bizarre to them. So um, it's obviously something that they're, they're fine-tuning. They don't have a lot of time to do it, uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. You know, one, one good news note is that as of uh, the recording of this podcast Friday morning, the NFL had exactly one player in their COVID protocol. Uh, out of you know uh, about three thousand, so the the, the uh, parameters that they put into place, the safeguards seem to be working. I don't think anybody wants to celebrate and, and get complacent because um, that that seems to have been uh, an issue for some states and, and counties. But um, you know the the NFL is proving right now that it, it's possible to do even outside of a bubble. So um, if they can keep that going through what four or five months. That would be uh, quite impressive. Yeah, and yeah, I got in a little back and forth with some fan on Twitter. Somebody was saying, "Oh, on Twitter? It, yeah, of course." <laughs> but it's so it, rational just, on Twitter. We need positive <laughs> news because you take positive, especially in an unprecedented battle like this. It, what you need to do is you're building a house with bricks. It, it's a it's a big project to overcome. A situation like this. So when we have one of the walls of the house is built, as I would say the NFL has done, you know, so far they've uh, they've started this successfully. You said one case out of what three thousand. That's a successful start. That's a that's something to continue to build off of. And somebody was saying, oh well, just wait till the regular season, all the travel starts. Well, yes, I don't think anybody's high stepping right now, but I do think it is important to acknowledge. Uh, what you just did, Matt, that, that this has been an excellent start to the NFL's procedures. Things will undoubtedly become more complicated moving forward because uh, you do have to deal with travel. But hopefully the fact that teams are, you know, on their own planes and, you know, not flying commercial and, uh, you know, staying in cordoned off areas of, of hotels, hopefully that all adds up into continuing this success. But it's going to be a thorny road, but you got to believe that, uh, the, the start is as good as they could have possibly hoped for it to be. And there are travel parameters, too. I mean, uh, the, the league put out something recently that said, for example, you know, there has to be space between people who are traveling on the plane. So if, if your travel party is, uh, is so big that you can't do that, you have to charter two planes in order to keep those uh, space distances up. So uh, they do have rules for that, too. I mean, and, and the 49ers are going to run into it right away. Uh, they've got those back-to-back games at uh, MetLife Stadium in New York, Jets-Giants, right after this Cardinals game. And they, uh, they want to stay over on the, on the eastern seaboard between those games. And uh, the NFL and the Players uh, Association have to okay their plan. But, um, you know, that, that could end up being, you know, the diciest uh, part of the season for them, COVID-wise, uh, trying to pull that off. So, um, that's, uh, that's coming up too in, in less than a month that, uh, what, what could be a very eventful two week stay in New York. Uh, Dennis, did you, did you guys ever do that when you were with the 49ers, uh, go out to the East coast and then stay over, uh, between East coast games? Yeah. You know, we played, I think one week we played the giants and then the next week we played, uh, Pittsburgh. I can't think what year it was, but you know, it was always kind of come back home, practice, and leave. But 
you know, we left always on a Friday, early Friday after kind of a walkthrough. Right. And we were we were in the away game that late Friday night. We had Saturday, and then we played Sunday and came right back. But they've shown success. The 49ers have definitely shown some success. It goes back to Harbaugh that, you know, just kind of staying over uh, when you're flying, you know, cross country, it just kind of works for them. And it's a business trip. It's a, a two week or a week and a half business trip. And it's worked out well. And I was the first person with the COVID and how they're going to do it, how they're going to isolate. I didn't think they could do it. I'm very surprised that there hasn't been an outbreak. I just didn't see how you could keep so many guys isolated for such a long period of time. But like you said, Matt, the NFL figured it out. I don't know if it was just from the testing or guys just just being accountable for themselves. But I am super surprised in this uh, training camp all across the NFL that there hasn't been more cases pop up. So much ups to the NFL for whatever they did. I don't know what it was, but they did it well. But the test does come when you start traveling. Now you're dealing with airplanes, you're dealing with hotel, hotel staff, folks on the airplane. Uh, So we'll see how that works out. But for right now, they've got it figured out. Speaking of the body clock, game time starts on the East Coast because that's obviously what the 49ers are you know, trying to neutralize that potential disadvantage by staying out there. We talked about this when the schedule came out. I think there's only one official early body clock start for the 49ers if they are granted permission to stay on the East Coast. And that would be that first game on the East Coast, which I believe is against the Jets. It's either the Jets or the Giants. Well, one of those two games on, on, on the East Coast, it would be a true 10 o'clock body clock uh, start because the 49ers would get in, as Dennis said, on Friday. But if they're allowed to stay, if they're on East Coast time, the jet lag is should be done with by the next week. And then I think when they go to New England uh, later in the year, that doesn't start till 4 p.m. Eastern. So that is also not an early start. So that's a potential advantage for the 49ers. It's one that uh, you typically get when you're a better team because the NFL wants to put you in the more desirable television slot. Uh, in 2017, I think the 49ers had five early body clock starts it was either that or four but it was higher than anybody else in the league and uh, the ownership uh, Jed York at the owners meetings the year after uh, was not pleased and he was very public about not being happy about that so that's back when the 49ers were a bad football team though this year they should have that scheduling advantage unless the schedule you know goes completely haywire uh, because college football gets canceled, SEC gets canceled, and then the NFL might at the last minute try to move to, to some Saturday games. So we'll see what happens there. But for now, this is the schedule. The 49ers, at least time-wise, it looks advantageous. So why don't we talk about the, the, the roster for this team and some key points that we've been watching at training camp. And, you know, the one Matt, Matt and I watch practice together, so we talk about this a lot. And I want to hear Matt's thoughts and, and what he wants to know from you on this, Dennis, because Javon Kinlaw is obviously the 49ers' top draft pick from this past season. And he is an extremely interesting player because he's so strong and he's so raw. Matt, what, what have you seen out of Kinlaw as far as these past two weeks when it comes to development? And do you think that you know we can expect him to take that next step this year? Or is it going to be something that's going to be a multi-season project? Oh, I think it's definitely multi-season. But you know, that's not to say that he can't show progress. And I think we've already seen progress from him. You know, We've talked about his battles with Lake and Tomlinson. That first week of training camp, 
he wasn't getting anywhere with Lake and Tomlinson. It was, he was hitting a wall, and Tomlinson, a strong guy who moves his feet well, was something that, uh, frankly, uh, Kinlaw hadn't seen. College guards and centers aren't very good. NFL ones are, and, and Tomlinson is, is at the top of that list. But then, I, I forget what day it was. Uh, it may have been Tuesday, which followed uh, a day off for the 49ers. He split his rep with, with Tomlinson. Tomlinson got him the first time, and then Kinlaw was able to slip off uh, with an inside move, and he got, uh, he got through him. And uh, I, I think that was a breakthrough for him. And um, you could just tell that he's just trying his best. And what's worked for him in the past is brute strength, just kind of manhandling guys. And uh, you saw that happening, I think it was on Sunday, which would have been, I, I forget, six or seven days in. And he had been doing that for six or seven days straight, and he just had nothing by the end of that practice. It was like he was running in quicksand, and he had just kind of spent himself. So, you know, the bottom line being... When he learns a little bit more nuance, he's going to be able to add something to that power and to that effort, which is a great, fantastic building block for any player. Uh, and you're going to have something. And, and like I said, I think it's going to be a, a multi-year process. It is for, for most players. I'm sure DeForest Buckner is still learning things. But um, he's not going to be easily moved, and he's going to give full effort. And that's exactly what Chris Kosarek, the uh, the defensive line coach, wants. And uh, uh, Dennis, I'm sure you've seen that countless times with rookies coming into the NFL. They just think that they can out-muscle, out out-hustle uh, the veterans uh, early on. And then they, they have to learn a few tricks in order to be effective. Yeah, and you have to have a lot of different tools in your, your toolbox as a defensive lineman. And we talked about, you know, coming off the power move, getting a little finesse, working that way, I think. He's a guy that's going to continue to learn. You have to have him on the field. First of all, he's a first-round draft pick, and then he's also, you know, he's he's a he's a raw talent, and you can and the only way you get better is through the reps. And I think he's getting some good reps now, which against some good linemen. I don't know if he's going to face another a, a guard as good as as he's facing in practice, but uh, he's going to he's going to just get better. I mean, he's got to work on other something other than his power move. He's used to it because he's been the biggest guy on the field. He's still one of the biggest guys on the field, biggest, strongest guys. But you got to use some finesse now because now you're talking about guys who can move their feet a whole lot better than the college or high school level. So I think you'll see him on the field. I think he's going to continue to get better. I can't wait to see him play. I'm excited. That's the one person I'm excited to watch play. Also, Contavious Street. I want to see kind of what he's doing. I hear he's having a pretty decent camp. I want to see how he he's coming off those that two-year injury. I'm um, seeing if he's healthy, see if he can go in there, see if he can maybe compete for some more reps on that defensive line, starting defensive line. Yeah, Contavious Street's a, a little bit beefier than he was before, and the 49ers are definitely trying to fortify that both the three technique and the nose tackle positions with interchangeability. Robert Sala was talking about that the other day. Nose tackle is not necessarily the you know 340 pounder position that we we saw it uh, be in the past now you hope to have a little bit more athleticism there to to combat these lighter offenses so the 49ers have taken Contavious Street and when DJ Jones was out you know they they rotated some guys who aren't typically nose tackles through there because there are other 300 plus pounder um, outside of Javon Kinlaw Julian Taylor is is out right now so uh he's still recovering from last season's acl tears so 49ers are doing their best to build a versatile defensive line that can plug and play you know and really fill some of the holes that 
they anticipate encountering this year. And one of those might be uh, Javon Kinlaw not quite being the polished pass rusher that they hope he'll be in two years this year. So it's going to take some mixing and matching to emphasize and highlight the strengths that Javon Kinlaw brings to the table as a rookie and then uh, really fill the gaps of what he can't quite bring yet until he becomes more refined. And that's why you have several bodies. And that's why you have a good defensive line coach in Chris Kosarek to make sure that uh, everything is is squared away. Well, next week when we talk, uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit more, I guess, of a, an update on what's happening to the 49ers injury-wise, especially at the center position. I think that's going to be one of the biggest deals entering this season because if they're on their third-string center, Daniel Brunskill, a guy who hasn't taken a snap in a game yet at that position, that could be very hairy, very interesting entering the regular season. The problem is right now we don't know. Ben Garland still fighting back from the ankle injury. Still way too many injuries that are you know, week to week to be determined. So I'm sure we'll have much more conversational fodder about that whole situation as the 49ers move into game prep and get closer to that September 13th opener against Arizona. I want to thank everybody for listening. For Matt Barrows and for Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll catch you guys next week with a whole lot of 49ers updates as kickoff for this 2020 season nears. <laughs>